Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. It's good to see you this morning. We're concluding a, a series on the life of Moses this morning, and uh, we're thinking about how he passed the baton on to Joshua. So Moses was a, a leader in the Hebrew people, and it seems really appropriate on Mother's Day to think about passing on the baton, passing on to someone else something important and significant. And we've been looking at the life of Moses through the the lens, if you like, of our verse for the year. And our verse for the year is from Romans 12, verse 2, which says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's see, in this stage of Moses' life story, how that verse can apply. It's been said that success, without a successor, is failure. It's an interesting quote, isn't it? Success, without a successor, is failure. Moses had spent some time investing in the life of Joshua. And now the time was approaching for Moses to be out of the picture and Joshua to step into the picture and lead instead of Moses. This wasn't a failure on Moses' part. In fact, this was success. This is what he was meant to have done. Moses had led the people out of slavery. Moses had led the people out of Egypt. Joshua was now going to lead them in to the promised land and in to their inheritance. Each one of them had their part to play. And Joshua had learned some key lessons from Moses in what Moses said and in what Moses did in order to prepare him for this. But Joshua had to then take those lessons and apply them in this new season of life. The setting was different, but the truths were the same. The process of of discipleship involves information, imitation, and innovation. Children in in the ancient world, I don't know if you're aware of this, but up to the age of 12, a child would have a teacher, and that teacher was called a pedagogue, and that pedagogue would teach children all the information they needed to know up to the age of 12. They'd give them an education. Then at the age of 12, that child would go with their parent, their mum or their dad, to do what their mum or dad was doing. And it was a time of imitation. So if their dad, for example, worked as a judge, they would sit in the court and they'd watch their dad judging. Or if there was a builder, they'd watch their dad building. Or if whatever profession the mum or the dad was in, they'd watch them do it. And they'd probably do that up to the age of 30. Makes sense of things when Jesus says, I only do what I see the father doing. And they'd watch to the age of 30. Then at about the age of 30, that was like an apprenticeship. That was imitation. Learn by doing it with someone. But then at the age of 30, you became a mature adult and you stepped into innovation. You then had the right information, you'd learned from your apprenticeship, and then you took it to where you felt it it should go. You'd develop in that skill or area. Well, if you want to read about that in the New Testament, I'll just give you the reference. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17 gives us a picture of that sort of spiritual development. The Apostle Peter uses a really interesting phrase in his letter. He says, you are like living stones being built together into a spiritual house. 
And there's a guy called Juan Carlos Ortiz, and he is from Argentina. And he wrote a book called Disciple in the 1970s, which was, it's not called Disciple in the 1970s, it's called Disciple, and it was written in the 1970s. And he wrote this book, and um, he talks about discipleship, a really influential book at that time. And he worked in some of the more challenging areas of Argentina and he lived there as he was working there and he discovered that if he was getting like a bit of building work done and he had some bricks delivered if he didn't stay up all night and sit with the bricks by morning they'd gone and he couldn't build what he wanted to build so he'd order a pile of bricks go to bed come out the next day all the bricks have gone so he'd learned when the bricks are delivered stay with the bricks until you build something but he said this once you've built the wall no one steals the bricks We are living stones being built together. When you isolate yourself, you are more vulnerable to be taken out. When you stick together, you stick together. There's something really, really important in that. The enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy, but we... No, the Lord comes to give life and life to the full. We're like living stones being built together. I wonder if you could go to the, the next slide. This is my attempt at drawing on a visual. That took me ages to do. It's... So if you're, if you're that stone there in the middle, we're being built together. There are people who are ahead of you in their journey with God that you need in your life. To help you grow into all that you could be. Maybe those are on the row above you. Who are those people? Who are those people in your life that you know. They've just. They've walked with Jesus longer. They know some stuff. They've been through some trials and some joys. And their, their life and their teaching is worth following. And they're not. You know them because you read their books. Or watch them on YouTube. Because you don't know them. You don't know them. You know about them. Who are those that are in your life? It might be a a person that you've known for years. They're a mature follower of Jesus. We need those. But who are the people who are alongside you? Who are the people who are at the same stage of spiritual development as you that you're learning from? And you're journeying with. Did you pick it up in the story that from Saturate Missional Community? Different people contributing different things uh, to help each other grow. Iona blessing the Robinsons. The Robinsons blessing Iona. Gareth and, uh, and Rachel and the family being blessed. And lots of others coming in and out of that. Just being a blessing and a contribution. Because you're at the same stage of a journey together, many of us. We need that. Who are the people... That you don't just say hello to on a Sunday morning. But are sharing life with you. So that you grow as a follower of Jesus. Who are they? Are the names coming to your mind? Here's a big one. Who are the people. That you're investing in. Because it's not all about feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Get my needs met, get my needs met. Somebody invest in me, somebody look after me, somebody care for me, somebody teach me. Who are you passing it on to? Who are the younger followers of Jesus that you're investing in? Moses had Joshua. 
Joshua was not Moses' son. Joshua, in the Bible, is called Joshua, the son of Nun. His dad was called Nun. But Moses invested in him. Who are the people that you're investing in? Who are the people that are helping you to become? Sorry, who are the people you're helping to become all there could be in God? That you're passing on the truth that you know. That you're passing on the lifestyle that you know so that they can grow up to be all that there could be. It's like being a spiritual parent to people. We're not becoming their parents. Joshua was the son of none. But he had Moses in his life who invested into him too. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2 says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so I cared for you. He he pictures himself as a mum. Just as a nurse, it literally means just as a wet nurse, just as a mother feeds, breastfeeds her children, gives something of herself to her children, so I invested something of me into you. He uses all kinds of pictures in that chapter, Paul. He talks about being a child, a mother, and a father. He says, I, come, I feel like a little child sometimes. I'm still trying to grow. Oh, but I'm also trying to pass on and nurture you as a mother. And I'm also trying to pass on and nurture you as a father. It's just trying to get the picture into our heads. We're learners and we're teachers. We're little children and we're grown-up adults. We need to learn from some people and we need to teach some people. And we need to do that in a community with others. And that's why one of the big things at King's for us is being part of a missional community. And quite a number of you are not. And it's time to join one. And if you think, well, it's not got uh, the missional vision that I have. Listen, all people who don't know Jesus matter to him. So if your heart's not breaking for a particular people group at the moment, just join any. Get involved Read the word, share life with people, give time to people, and go on the mission they're doing. And as you do, your desire for lost people will grow. But it's time to join one that's a part of Kings and work it out here so that that can work. That's what the Bible teaches. As parents, spiritual parents as well as parents, it's important that we feed our kids the right stuff. We teach them about God and relationships and forgiveness and holiness. We remember that teaching is not merely our words, but it's our example as well. We all have family traits. Do you know that? You have family traits that you're unaware of, and so do I. You have family commandments that you need to think through. Are they godly? Your views on money, on sex, on power. Your sense of humor and reverence. There are traits that become so normal in our family. It's like like fish don't notice water. We don't notice them. And we need to bring them into the light of scripture and into the community of God's people. And say, now are the family traits that I'm living out, family on mission traits, godly traits, or are they just things that... I've picked up and I do because that's normal. 
part of the renewing of our mind is to be lining up to what it means to be part of the family of God. And the traits of that family defining us. As we feed on God's word, if he, uh, Hebrews twelve, sorry, Hebrews five twelve. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. What I'm saying in this teaching and passing on is not that we make people dependent on us. A healthy parent does not create a dependency for their children on them for the rest of their lives. They have a role in their life for the rest of their lives, but you release them to be adults. And when a child's a very little baby, you feed it milk. And when it gets a bit older, you feed it solid food and you teach it to cook. So that they can do the same. But if you're living your life saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. Or don't give me anything difficult to think about. Or don't give me anything challenging. I don't need the meat of the word. Just give me some milk. Give me something nice and easy. It's time to grow up. To engage with the meat of God's word. The challenge of discipleship as well as the encouragement. But it's also time to be able to cook and teach others to do the same so that they can feed themselves and feed others. It's true in a natural family. It's true in a spiritual family. So, I want to quickly highlight two things that Joshua learned from Moses as he was invested in by him. First of all, Exodus 33, 11. He learned to linger. Joshua had been with Moses at some very important points in the story of the Hebrew people. Exodus 24, 12 to 13. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written on the, for their instruction. And Moses set out with Joshua, his aide. And Moses went on to the mountain of God. The whole of the people of Israel stayed at the bottom of the mountain. Moses went up and he said to Joshua, you should come with me. There's some things you're going to need to learn here. He was going encountering God. He was going getting the Ten Commandments. And he says to Joshua, you need to come. You're going to need to see this. What shall I do? Nothing. Just come. Just be here. This is going to be important in the future, but you need to be here. Joshua was the only one with Moses when he encountered God and when God gave Moses the commandments. He was the only one there. Can you imagine the impact of that encounter for the rest of his life? And then Exodus 33, 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. What? The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. So this was in the tent of meeting. But Joshua, his young aide, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. 
Moses went and had these encounters with God and Joshua went with him. And then Moses said, right, I'm going back to the people. And Joshua said, I'm staying here. I'm staying here. This, have you just seen what happened? You just spoke with God like one speaks to his friend. I'm staying right there. If you want to go, you go. I'm staying. Joshua would remember the stories like in Exodus 17 when, when they fought the Amalekites and Joshua's in the valley battling the Amalekites and, and Moses is up on the, on the hill and Moses is lifting his hands to God, probably in prayer. And when these hands grew faint, then, then Aaron and Hur would help lift his hands and Joshua learned, hang on a minute, there's something about prayer that's massive in winning a victory. He learned these lessons of encounter. I'm sure Joshua would have heard stories from Moses. There was a day I was looking after the sheep. I was on the far side of the wilderness. And I walked past this bush and it it was burning, but it didn't burn up. And I went over and suddenly I met the holy God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he spoke to me. And it changed my life forever. And I imagine Joshua just sitting and tell me more about that. I remember becoming a Christian. I became a Christian through reading the Bible. I read the Bible for probably two years every day. I, wasn't, I didn't go to church. I wasn't brought up to go to church. And through the reading of Scripture, I was convicted of sin. And Jim Lucas, the first time I remember hearing the gospel, Jim Lucas shared the gospel with me in someone's living room. And I gave my life to Jesus. And every day, I would say for four months, I would knock on his door. Jim, I've been reading the Bible. What does this mean? Jim, it says I can be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? I thought I'd been baptized when I was christened, but it doesn't seem to say that here. What does that mean? I just pestered the life out of him. But I learned to read the Word. I learned to pray. I was filled with the Spirit. I spoke in tongues, and I arranged to get baptized because I just kept knocking on his door. Tell me more. Tell me, tell me something more. I want to know more. Do you? Do you want to know more of God? Or is this just a hobby? Are we playing a game? Because if we are, I'm not up for it. But if we want to know God and we want to go deeper into him, a hunger's got to start growing inside of us for that. Joshua had listened to Moses, he got the information. He'd been with Moses when the, in those encounters, he got the imitation. And then he was going to innovate. Let me just say something about the presence of God. God is with us at all times. That's called God's omnipresence. Psalm 139. You can never, ever leave God's presence. When people say to us, we're now coming into the presence of God. I don't know where you've been. I really don't know where you've been. Because the Bible says, where can I go from your presence? However, there's the inner presence of God that scripture speaks about. And that's in places like John 14 where Jesus says, if you receive me, then me and the Father by the Spirit will come and make our presence with you. We'll be with you here, not just with you everywhere, because God is everywhere, but here. 
in your life, with you, forever. No one can pluck you out of his hand because he is in you. It's great to be in oxygen, but it's really important that oxygen's in you. (laughs) It's great to be in the presence of God, but it's more important that the presence of God is in you. But then, and I think this is what people mean when they say we're coming into the presence of God. It's a clunky language, but I think this is what they mean. There's the manifest presence of God. It's where we linger in worship and prayer. It's where God is powerfully, tangibly, evidently present, an overwhelming nearness of holiness and love. Those moments that set us on a trajectory for the rest of our life, Joshua learned to linger in those moments, in the manifest presence of God. And, and that's in places like 2 Chronicles five, fourteen. you can read about that. How's that being worked out in your life? Are you aware that God is with you always? Are you aware that God is with you inside? And are you aware of times where there's the manifest, palpable, real, visceral sense of God with us? And if so, how are you passing that on to other people? Should I tell you how me and Jackie are trying to pass that on to other people? Because we are. Every month we say to you, we're going to be here for five hours. And we're going to worship. And we're going to pray. We have a very flimsy program. Outline of what we might do. But we're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to be in the manifest presence of God. We're going to let him speak to us prophetically. And we're trying to pass on to you something that's of a high value in our life. And if you want to learn that from us, come. And if you don't want to learn that from us, don't. But if you're experiencing it, how are you teaching others? Where are you making the space for that? It's great that you have a great worship time. Who are you helping someone else to? It's great that you know your Bible. Who else are you helping to? I'm going to move quickly on. Joshua is about to step into his role as leader of the Hebrew people. And we find in the book of Joshua, before he faces the river Jordan that's in flood, these words are written in Joshua 3.5. Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things amongst you. Nick Duffy at our leaders morning a few weeks ago, during the worship, he said that he felt prophetically that was a verse for King's Church. I'd just been working on this part of the talk that week, before, not after. And focusing in on this verse. How are we preparing ourselves So that God wants to do amazing things among us. Because our best days are in our future, not in our past. No matter how old you are, your best days are in your future, not in your past. There's always more. You've not exhausted God. There's always more. Remember, at this stage... Moses is 120 years old. Anyone 120? 100? 90? 
we're fine then. There's more. You might feel like it some mornings for me too. <laughs> Preparing. Set yourself aside. And then finally, the last thing I want to draw out from this is Joshua had Caleb. He had, he had Moses. Remember the bricks above. But he had Caleb. Because he was going to lead the people. Numbers 13 accounts the story of Moses leading the people to the edge of the promised land. It had only been weeks. Weeks since the plagues in Egypt. Weeks since the parting of the Red Sea. And they get to the promised land. They get to the edge of the promised land. And Moses thinks, right, let's send a few people in. Let them have a look how it is. Then we'll go and take the land. So he picks someone from every tribe. He sends 12 of the men. And this is the report they come back with in Numbers 13. I'm going to read 27 to 28 and then 31 to 33. Moses gave this account. So, sorry, they gave this account to Moses. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. There are even descendants of Anak there. But the men had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are, and they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land that they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Wow. In other words, the saying, all that God said about the land is true. I just don't believe God can or will give it to us. Weeks before, they had been delivered from the most powerful superpower on the earth. With signs, wonders and miracles and a sea parting so they could walk through it. And they came back and said, but they're big. But they're big. And they have big walls. The world's most powerful superpower. Miracles of deliverance. And the parting of a Red Sea. But they're big. Only weeks previous. If they'd have made a different decision at this point. They would not have spent 40 years in a wilderness. To get back to the same point. God always brings us back to the same point. So you can walk around in charismatic circles for 40 years or you can possess the land. Oh, there were miracles, manna, quail, water from rocks. It was a wonderful, our clothes didn't wear out. You were still in the wilderness. Or you could have took the land 40 years ago. These people have been delivered from slavery physically but not mentally not emotionally and not spiritually. They saw themselves as slaves rather than children of God. We are just like grasshoppers. 
They'd not been transformed by the renewing of their mind, so they could not test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Their thinking was still based on, I'm not strong enough. They'd just seen all this stuff that you don't need to be. You just need to lean into God's strength. But no, I can't do it. Of course you can't do it, but he can. You couldn't deliver yourself from slavery in Egypt, but look, you're out. The tragedy is the Hebrew people believed them. And they spent 40 years walking in a wilderness they didn't need to. The only two people that left Egypt that entered the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. A whole nation could have gone in and two people did. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Do you remember the picture of the wall? Maybe we could go back to that. I think it's the next slide. Are those around you speaking faith, hope and love into your life? Are they encouraging you to live a holy life and to be a disciple who makes disciples? Are they helping you to become all that God says you can be? Or are they filling you with cynicism, criticism, fear, doubt, compromise? Do, you t- do they tell you that you're wise when you choose not to trust God? Or do they draw you towards God? Do they draw you to God's people or from God's people? We all get to choose who we surround ourselves with and who we listen to. Joshua had been discipled well by Moses and he'd learned some good lessons and he chose to be with people like Caleb. And Caleb said, He silenced the people after all those guys had said what they couldn't do. And he said, we should go up and take possession of this land because we can certainly do it. Don't you want people like that around you? Oh, no, can't happen, won't happen. You know, God, a million reasons God won't do it. Or do you want people with you who say, God can do this. Why don't we go with him? Caleb did not conform to the pattern of the world around him, but chose to take God at his word and encouraged others to do the same. Joshua and Caleb were not squeezed into this world's mold, but had a different way of thinking. Who's helping you to live that way? There's a false humility that says, oh, I'm just a grasshopper, I can't do it, I'm just a worm. Can't manage it. When the truth is this, you're a child of God. You're forgiven and accepted. You're in God's family. And God does ask you to do things you can't do. Let's not pretend he doesn't. God does ask you to do things that you can't do. And then he gives you the strength to do them. The Apostle Paul says, I can do all things, not because I'm an inherently powerful person. I have great self-image. I've been on a course that builds my self-esteem. No, no, no. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus wants to strengthen you to do all the things he asks you to do, to be all the things he tells you you are. Do you feel forgiven? Well, you are. Do you feel loved? 
Well, you are. Do you feel accepted? Well, you are. Do you feel like you're a disciple maker? Well, you are. Do you feel like you're going to heaven one day? Well, you are. Is that truth sinking in? And who's affirming it to you? Because if you're like me, there are days when there's a thought process goes in my mind that tries to undermine all of those things. And I need the word of God and I need the spirit of God and I need the people of God to help me to become all that I am in him. And I know you do too. So Moses played his part in the big story right up to the end. He invested in those around him so that they could follow and take things further than he did. And we're a family of God and, and you might have children physically. You might not. You might be a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, an aunt, an uncle. You might be single, you might be married. You're part of the family. We need every single one to invest in every single one so that we can all become what God wants us to be. All. All. Your stage of life, your position in life does not disqualify you or give you a get out ticket. You have a part to play. You're needed and you're important. Our aim is that our ceiling becomes the floor for those who follow. Isn't it? I want to raise up disciples who see more of God than I've ever seen. I want to equip people to go and do things in God that they don't look back and think, oh, well, you know, when Darren and Jackie did this or when Darren and Jackie did that. I want them to to pretty much forget us, to be honest. Because they've seen so much more of God. All we've done is given a foundation to springboard into the next thing that God has for them. I just want to be, I just want to be a launch pad for them to go into all that God wants them to do. So that they glorify him. But if I don't play my part, then they've got to pay some of the stupid tax I've paid (laughs) They've got to make some of the mistakes I've made. But if I can pass on some stuff so that they don't have to make that, they can go further. And you can do the same. So as a close, perhaps this Mother's Day, you might want to message or even speak to some of the people who've invested in you and say thank you. Perhaps you want to send a scripture or an encouragement to those who are along. Maybe we could go to the next slide. Maybe you want to send a scripture or something to the people who are alongside you I say I'm so glad I'm journeying with you I'm so glad we get to do this together or maybe you want to pray for those you're discipling or those you're raising up and say send them something that's encouraging or just pray over them maybe you want to look at that picture and think where are the gaps in my wall who's investing in me who am I journeying with Who am I investing in? And if there's some gaps, say, God, how can I fill the gaps? How can I fill the gaps? 
Let's stand together as we close. Jesus, thank you that we get to journey with you and thank you that we get to journey with one another. And Jesus, I thank you that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus, I pray this morning if people have been spoken to, who are they investing in, that you'd begin to direct us to those that we should. For those who have not connected with a missional community yet or a missional household, Father, I ask you, speak to them and let them do it. Father, for those who've invested in us, we thank you for them and we pray your blessing upon them that they might grow into all that they should be in you. Jesus, thank you that we don't do this alone, but we get to travel with you and with your people. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.